year into Biden's presidency, Illinois leaders weigh his success. Charleston girl rescued from frozen pond remains in critical condition. More on these stories, I'm Kelsey Watsonauer. I'm Sierra Henry. And this is Lee Enterprises Long Story Short. Good evening, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of Long Story Short, where we recap Central Illinois news from Lee Enterprises journalists. Kelsey's going to kick us off with um, talking about President Joe Biden and his first year in office. This week marked one year since President Joe Biden was inaugurated, and Lee reporters spoke with state and local political leaders to see how they rate his performance a year into his presidency. Kate Heather and I spoke with party chairman in McLean County, and Taylor Vidmar spoke with Governor J.B. Pritzker, state party leaders, and local Congress members. So if you'd like to read what those folks had to say, be sure to find those stories, the McLean County stories at panograph.com, and Taylor's statewide story is across all of our three websites, panograph.com, herald-review.com, and jg-tc.com. Also, quick shout out to Taylor Vidmar, a recent addition to the Lee Central Illinois crew. She's working as a statehouse intern for Lee while she works on her master's degree in the University of Illinois Public Affairs Reporting Program in Springfield. So welcome, Taylor. Okay, back back to regular podcast. Sierra, take it away. Secretary of State Jesse White announced all DMV facilities will reopen next week after they had been closed since January 3rd due to the surge of COVID-19 cases. In-person transactions will once again be available on Monday, January 24th for Secretary of State Departments and DMV facilities operating on a Tuesday to Saturday schedule will reopen January 25th. For more on the Secretary of State's updates and to learn about how to schedule appointments online, find Donna Beckett's story at herald-review.com, jg-tc.com, or panagraph.com. And now Kelsey's going to take us into local government news, starting with uh, the Normal Town Council this week. This week, the Town of Normal launched an open data portal that pulled together several data sets aimed at improving transparency and usability for residents. The data sets available include public safety incidents, business licenses, permits, budgets, and financial reports. With the use of Geographic Information System, or GIS, uh, the system of mapping. Basu Gadaharaju, the town's innovation and technology director, said these data were already public information and in developing the portal, her staff considered the information that was most often requested by residents through the Freedom of Information Act requests or other means of communication. The data portal was launched as an element of the town's work in the Smart City Initiative, which focuses on using data and technology to improve operations and citizens' usability. For the full story on the data portal and this week's council meeting, be sure to find find my story at panagraph.com. And while you're there, follow the link to the portal and check out some of those data sets for yourself. The Mattoon City Council on Tuesday approved a four-year agreement with the city's firefighters, but that contract expires on April 30th. The contract with the Mattoon Firefighters Association Local 691 has been delayed since 2018. This new agreement includes language regarding promotions, pay raises, and staffing. JGTC reporter Matus Jenik reported this week. The council voted to reinstate the fire department's ambulance service last month, which had been eliminated to end the duplication of services with private ambulance providers in Mattoon and to allow the city to use that money in the police and public works departments. City Administrator Kyle Gill said an overall majority of the details in the contract that will replace the one approved Tuesday were already tentatively agreed upon and the only negotiations left are those surrounding the fire department's ambulance service and city finances. For full details on this new contract and what it means for Mattoon's fire 
providers, be sure to check out Matusa's story at jg-tc.com. Eviction filings in McLean County have spiked since the state lifted its moratorium, but few of those cases are actually being approved, Kate Heather reported this week. After speaking with Mark Fellheimer, chief judge of the 11th Circuit Court, Cade wrote that there appears to be more leniency and willingness to negotiate between landlords and tenants, which is possibly resulting in fewer evictions. Illinois established its moratorium on evictions in March 2020, but it was lifted in October of 2021. Prior to the pandemic, parties could come into the courthouse and and landlords would typically ask to take possession in about 10 to 14 days. But Fellheimer said lately they are agreeing to a 30-day possession date to accommodate the tenant. Kate has the full rundown on evictions in McLean County and what's been going on in the last three months since the moratorium was lifted. So if you want to learn more about that, be sure to find his report at panagraph.com. And now let's move into some business news, particularly business related to Rivian and electric vehicles. Here, what did you write about this week? Well, as we said earlier in the pod, President Joe Biden is wrapping up his first year in office. And about a year ago... He set an ambitious goal that all cars and trucks sold in the U.S. would be electric by 2030. So this week, I took a look at some of the initiatives that he's been able to pass, uh, such as the $1 trillion infrastructure bill and the Build Back Better bill. Uh, The Build Back Better bill was expected to drive up consumer demand for electric vehicles and coincided with Rivian's uh, emergence into the EV manufacturing sector. The Build Back Better spending plan it is meant to be like a framework for fighting climate change, but it also includes several other provisions such as like expanding affordable health care and a lot of other things. But one part of it is that it would make EVs more affordable through federal tax credits. However, the bill, while it was passed in the, the House, it has stalled in the Senate namely because of um, Democrat Senator uh, Joe Manchin, who has said that he cannot support the bill without uh, there being more transparency on the, quote, true cost of it. So because this bill was expected to make EVs more affordable, analysts said that it would drive consumer demand, hopefully reaching that 2030 goal. But without it, the analysts that I spoke with estimated a 10% to 12% drop in overall EV demand uh, for this year, 2022. What that means for Rivian uh, and other EV manufacturers, well, it's not fantastic because it means that this demand for pushing electric vehicles is going to have to come from the manufacturing side, meaning consumers are going to have to want to make the transition and not rely on federal or state tax credits. Uh, There's also been concerns with uh, infrastructure. While Biden was successful in passing the $1 trillion bipartisan infrastructure package, which included $7.5 billion to build 500,000 new charging stations, they're still saying that it's not enough to uh, make consumers comfortable to to make the switch from gas to electric. However, Illinois is could be in a better position than other states because of recent actions that have been taken, uh, such as passing the Reimagining Electric Vehicles Act, uh, which provided um, tax credits for 
EV manufacturers wanting to locate in the state, and then also the Climate and Equitable Jobs Act, which includes a $4,000 rebate for those purchasing electric vehicles. If you want to uh, look at more analysis of like what the Build Back Better deal uh, could mean for EVs and why there's so much riding on it and why um, an analysts say that it not passing could be potentially bad. Uh, you can find my full story at pantograph.com. It's really dense, but it's actually a really fascinating issue right now, and it's very timely. And you can find that at pantograph.com, as I said. In quick feel-good business news, the owner of Varner & Rawlings Heating and Air Conditioning Incorporated gave back in a big way after the business decided to pay to fix the Mattoon Community Food Center's heating system. A crack found on the combustion chamber in in the furnace of the new building was going to cost the center to pay out of pocket, possibly disrupting services. But the Nioga business decided to give back with free repairs and a new furnace, Matus Janique wrote this week. To give some context on how important the Mattoon Community Food Center is, the organization served around 600 families during the month of December, with 115 receiving home deliveries, 181 coming in for daily pickups, and 303 using the drive up. For the full scoop and more, be sure to find. Matusa's full story at jg-tc.com. All right, now let's move into some health news. This week, reporter Brendan Moore got the inside scoop on a new logistics center intended to aid out-of-state women seeking abortion services. The center is a joint operation between Planned Parenthood of the St. Louis region and Southwest Missouri and Granite City-based Hope Clinic for Women. And there, it will be operated out of the Planned Parenthood facility in Fairview Heights. The center will help arrange travel and lodging and connect patients with existing resources, such as abortion funds. Brendan wrote that abortion access has been under threat across the country, with several conservative states restricting the procedure. Now, the Supreme Court is expected to make a ruling on a case that could gut or completely reverse the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision. And if that happens, abortion is likely to be banned in 26 states, he wrote, including every state surrounding Illinois. And it in an exclusive interview, Governor J.B. Pritzker told Brendan that the state is determined to protect women, and places are going to have to step up to continue that protection by providing services such as the new logistics center. To read more, you can find Brendan's full story at herald-review.com, pantograph.com, or jg-tc.com. As COVID-19 cases skyrocketed, the Macon County Health Department made a stunning decision to stop daily coronavirus reports, including releasing case numbers, deaths, and other relevant information. In a December 21st meeting, the Board of Health Vice President Mark Scranton said people are just, they're burned out. They're tired of hearing about it, adding that he and others were concerned about people tuning out the information. Scranton also criticized news organizations reporting the data, expressing a hope that moving to a weekly health department report would lead to fewer news stories about the pandemic. The decision to move to weekly reports sparked frustration, and some Decatur city officials voiced during public meetings that they would rather the board return to daily reports. The health board reversed its decision this week, just two weeks after the Herald Review's initial report on the issue. For the full story on the Macon County Health Department, be sure to find Brendan Moore and Valerie Wells' story over at herald-review.com. And now let's move into education news, starting with Decatur Christian School. Uh, The Decatur Christian School students are gearing up for the first Tech Challenge, a national program where students in grades 7 to 12 compete to design, build, and program a robot. 
Students with the Decatur Christian School have competed in the past, making it to the state level twice. And this year, they're first in their league of 20 teams and sixth in the state among 147 teams with their beta bot. After their first competition of the year, the students are working on reimagining the design and components with the goal of the robot being able to perform certain tasks autonomously. Their next competition will be held at the school on January 22nd. Valerie Wells has the full story on the robot, as well as more details on the team. To read more, find her story at herald-review.com. The McLean County Unified School Board is considering eliminating the district's 12 late start days and replacing them with seven half days instead for the 2022-23 school year. The current system has been in place since 2010, but 73% of Unit 5 staff who responded to a district survey said the half-day model would be more beneficial. If it's approved by the board next month, the half-days would land on different weekdays throughout the school year, with elementary students being released at 10.45 a.m., junior high students at 11.45 a.m., and high school students at 11.30 a.m. For full details and early reactions from the school district, you can find my full school board story at panograph.com. Dolly Parton's Imagination Library is expanding to DeWitt County, expecting to serve around 100 kids at the start of the program. The Imagination Library is a program of the Dollywood Foundation, which was started by Parton for her charitable ventures. It has distributed more than 150 million books to kids across the world. Under the program, children younger than five would receive a free book every month. It is sponsored by the United Way of Decatur and Mid-Illinois, and the program is already available in Macon County, where the United Way of Decatur and Mid-Illinois started participating in the program. Moving into DeWitt County, where the organization provides other services, was the next logical step. In Central Illinois, Sangamon, Logan, and Menard counties also have programs available to at least some residents, according to a map of the Imagination Library website. To learn more about the program and how to participate, find Connor Wood's story at panograph.com and herald-review.com. Illinois Wesleyan's women's basketball team came out ahead with an early 10-2 lead and scored the first 15 points in, in the second quarter in a 73-51 victory over Milliken this week. This win secured the Titans' first place in the College Conference of Illinois and Wisconsin. Three freshman players, Kate Palmer, Lauren Huber, and Mal- Mallory Powers, combined for 47 points in the win, and Coach Mia Smith said while some people underestimate the young players, they are proving they can hold their own. The Titans advanced to a 10-6 record and are undefeated in the conference with seven wins. Milliken slipped to 13-4 after this loss, which was the team's first conference defeat in eight games. Randy Reinhardt has the full story on the match, as well as five key takeaways from the game, online at panograph.com and herald-review.com. Former offensive coordinator for the Fighting Illini, Tony Peterson, is taking that role anew, but this time at Illinois State University. In his 30-year coaching career, Peterson has been an offensive coordinator at Minnesota, Marshall, Louisiana Tech, East Carolina, and Illinois. Last year, he also served as the quarterback's coach at Illinois. ISU coach Brock Spack said the coaching staff needed a set of outside eyes and a coach of Peterson's experience fit the bill, especially considering his understanding of the passing game. Peterson will also work with ISU's wide receivers this season and said he was excited to join the staff and work with a team that's proven to be able to make it into the playoffs. To hear more from the new offensive coordinator and the ISU coaching staff, check out Randy Reinhardt's report at panograph.com. 
Missouri State handed the Redbirds their worst loss of the season with a final score of 88-63 Wednesday night. Though the Bears' high scorer Isaiah Mosley was on the bench for a good portion of the first half, the rest of the team seized a 10-point lead by halftime thanks in part to four three-pointers from Jamonta Black. When Mosley came back in the second half, ISU was swiftly buried. Redbird Mark Freeman was able to trap 19 points, Howard Fleming Jr. had 10, and Antonio Reeves was held to 9, scoring under 10 for the first time this season. ICU's record dropped to 9-9 overall and 2-3 in the Missouri Valley Conference with this loss. For more details and to hear from the coaches about what went wrong, be sure to find Jim Benson's story at Panograph.com. Alright, and now we're going to move into some public safety and courts news. A 10-year-old girl is fighting for her life after falling through pond ice in Charleston over the weekend. Malia White was rescued from the frigid water and airlifted for treatment to a hospital in Peoria Saturday where she remains in critical condition, according to her aunt, Amanda Beals. Beals said that the girl's grandfather, 31-year-old Carlos Serafin, died after he jumped into the pond to save Malia, who had ventured onto the pond near where she lives. Carlos jumped into the pond with a broomstick, but both were sucked underneath the ice. Beals' brother, Bill Croy, attempted to bust open the ice, but couldn't find them. Beals has launched an appeal. Uh, Beals has launched a GoFundMe page to help Malia's family with medical and funeral expenses. An account will also be set up at the Washington Savings Bank branches in Mattoon and Effingham. Beals said both Malia and Bailey Croy are Bill Croy's granddaughters, and he has custody of them. Bill Croy is married to Carlos Serafin, whom Beals described as the girl's other abuelo or grandfather. Uh, to read more, find Tony Reed's story at jg-tc.com, herald-review.com, or panograph.com. The Illinois State Fire Marshal has opened an investigation into a fire at a Casey's General store in Shelbyville. Firefighters were called to the gas station around 2.03 a.m. on Wednesday, battling flames until about 9 a.m. Officials reported heavy smoke and presumed the fire started in the maintenance room. A cause has yet to be determined and no injuries were reported. Find Matus Janique's full story at jg-tc for more information on the fire. David S. Fry, 70, of Normal, remains in custody on 45 counts of child pornography charges. 16 of the charges are a Class 2 felony and 29 are a Class 3 felony. Prosecutors said the charges resulted from the use of electronics and the charges are described as a possession of a photograph or other similar visual reproduction or depiction by computer of a minor child whom he reasonably should have known to be under the age of 13, according to court documents. Normal police opened an investigation into Fry in September of 2020 after receiving a cyber tip that was sent to the Illinois Attorney General's Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force, which includes detectives from the NPD. To read more, find Kate Heather's full report at Panograph.com. Former Bloomington piano teacher Aaron Pollier, who was 40, was sentenced Friday to 450 years in prison on sexual assault and child pornography charges. Pollier was found guilty in an October bench trial of 10 counts of predatory criminal sexual assault of a minor and 10 counts of child pornography. The trial was the first of possibly six trials as Pollier is expected to be tried for each victim. He faces 18 additional sexual assault and child pornography charges. If convicted of at least one other count of sexual assault of a minor, Parlier would be sentenced to natural life in prison. Kate Heather has the full report at Panograph.com. And finally, a nearly 100-year-old vacant Decatur building was destroyed Thursday in a fire as crews battled flames under bitterly cold temperatures. 
A manager of the building said it has been empty and boarded up for many years, but it has routinely had issues with people breaking in and building fires in the fireplace to keep them warm. The fire remains under investigation. Valerie Wells has a full scoop, as well as some additional information about how firefighters are able to battle flames in old buildings. To read more, you can find her story at heraldhyperreview.com. Kelsey wanted to talk about um, <laughs> something in community news, so we're going to close that out with that. Uh, it's something a little special, a little exciting, because I'm not really sure <laughs> what it is. Yeah, you kept asking about it. I'm like, oh, you'll hear about it later. Okay, so uh, Pontiac High School students from Paul Ritter's environmental science class are developing a international environmental summit. It, it'll be called the Youth Environmental Summit, or YES, uh, and it's going on next month. This virtual summit will bring together students from all over the world, from Canada, Mexico, India, Kenya, Indonesia, and 20 states in the U.S. Uh, to participate on two Fridays in February, February 17th and February 24th. Um, it's a free virtual summit. Anyone can attend and watch it. And the sessions will be recorded and played back on YouTube later. And these students from Pontiac Township High School are working with students from Grand River Preparatory Academy in Michigan. And just as an opportunity to talk about projects and ideas related to environmentalism that they're excited about. Um, the main topics for presentation are climate change, water pollution, conservation, agriculture practices, and sustainability. But some students will also be talking about ocean noise, deforestation, battery recycling, radiation exposure, and environmental contamination. Uh, it's super exciting. Um, I'm really excited about I like want to go. Um, and the students will have an opportunity to like Q&A with other students and like they're also working with these big organizations like the UN, the US EPA, um, Yellowstone Yukon Conser Conservation Initiative, IDOT, a lot of big names in environmentalism. So uh, they'll, they'll have some key, keynote speakers and be able to talk to students about their youth programs and things they're excited about. And this is entirely student-led, student-designed, student-developed, um, and it's really clear from like like their website and they have a TikTok and Instagram. It's very it's very cool. I love kids doing cool stuff. So if you want to read more about that, um, I'll have a story on up on that. Well, later today. <laughs> um, if you want to read more about that, you can find my story at panograph.com, and I hope you'll attend because it sounds really cool cool i love youth and government stuff and it sounds so cool i wish we had more i wish we had access to more stuff like that when i was younger um and in high school uh, would i have i participated i'm not sure um who's to say but i think that it's really cool when i ever whenever i see um youth in those kind of things um, but that's going to do it for us today, folks. As always, if you're enjoying this podcast and our reporting, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. While you're at it, head on over to panagraph.com, herald-review.com, and jg-tc.com to look up subscription information and consider supporting hashtag local journalism.